0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Speaking of talent, many analysts and experts weighed in around this time last year to give their hiring predictions for 2020. We'll never know how those predictions would have played out had the pandemic not occurred. Now we once again ask ourselves, what will hiring look like next year? I have expert Michael Batman Cohen on the show to find out. Batman is the founder of Wayne Technologies, a contract sourcing and recruitment training organization. His approach to sourcing is one based on deliverables, transparent data, and using multiple sources and platforms to find the greatest diversity and quality of candidates. I should also mention he will be the keynote speaker in our virtual summit on December 9th called HR Now. There'll be a link with information in the description. Michael, should I say Batman? Thanks
1: so much for joining <laughs> us again today. Thanks so much, man. Thanks. I uh, I go by both. I can't seem to
0: get my wife to call me Batman. <laughs> Maybe one day. Um, Maybe one day. That's right. Probably have to be some kind of trade-off, right? Like She could be Poison Ivy or
1: yeah that's right uh starfire i think is what we've what we've Ugh. gone with for
0: classic classic um yeah. that's teen titans right uh yes wow nice pull nice pull i was a teenager once i think it was just coming on as i was getting slightly told to be watching that um It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome anyway uh 2020 was kind of crazy um from a right. hiring perspective we had organizations got a business. We had organizations that became uh, unexpectedly successful had to onboard as many people as they could. Now we've got a whole new consideration. We have essential employees that are going to be risking their lives often for their job in a way that you never would have expected them to even a year ago. And you have other people that uh, are you know in a completely different um, situation that can work from home, aren't essential, aren't going to be exposed things have really been divided in that sense, uh, and it's just been insane. So <laughs> uh, first, yeah. before we dive in, um, you know, what it, What did hiring look like this year once the pandemic hit?
1: You know, I think uh, hiring, hiring this year looked like, I, I believe, the rest of this year, which was an absolute dumpster fire Uh, (laughs) um it, it it never ceased to amaze me the you know the 2020 bingo that people were able to play this year if you're not familiar it's basically a list of the craziest stuff create a bingo board and put a list of like the most ridiculous things that could possibly happen in a year uh and then play bingo throughout the year and i think that that is exactly the way that hiring also went right? Which was the the craziness of February through April when people were like, oh my gosh, you know, we need to let everybody go and, you know, just like clean house, nothing's ever going to be the same, you know? Um, and then as summer rolled through, uh, I, I noticed a small pickup uh, in hiring. And then now at the end of the year, it's a, a fire sale on the other side where you're like, oh my god, We need to do like all the hiring of 2020, but like now, and throughout the year, one of the interesting things, uh, with hiring, obviously I think number one in everybody's face is, um, remote, right? There's no more for most organizations. There's no more in-person interviews. Come check out the office, meet the team. Right. I, I, I know most of my clients haven't met the people they've hired in person. Um, most of my clients the or candidates haven't seen the office that they may or may not be going back to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is uh, difficult, if not handled with tact and care, because at the end of the day, uh, retention is still an issue uh, for every organization. And, you know, I, it goes back to the... Uh, so number one, working remote. Number two is this onboarding retention issue. And uh, it goes back to something that I've always compared it to. Um, I I had helped plant a church a year and a half ago or so. And one of the things in doing that, that they talk about is like, why do most people stay at their church? Right. And, And this is directly translatable to work. It has nothing to do with Christianity or whatever religion. It's just this group that I I have the familiarity with. Why do most people stay at the church they're at? And the actual answer is it's where all their best friends go. Mm. Right. And so now all of a sudden you're in a space where you're not creating the same relationships. You're not playing ping pong in the afternoon or going out for drinks or complaining that the kombucha on tap flavor isn't very good this month. Like (laughs) (laughs) hypothetically. Um, you know, uh, so those type of like nuanced relationships that often give people the, the deeper level of buy-in that they they need in order to to stay during tough times, isn't there. And so it's interesting to see companies now not only interviewing remote but trying to give their current employees and their onboarded employees um, the same type of benefits in their house. So what do I mean? I mean, uh, there are some companies that uh, give you like a stipend for like Grubhub, Uber Eats, whatever, every day to order lunch. There are some that are doing happy hours and using companies like Drizzly to deliver alcohol to uh, employees. Um, You've got the ubiquitous virtual happy hours now, which I think are just a colossal terrible waste of time uh <laughs> I was like let's just sit on another zoom meeting but this time drink alcohol like what could go wrong yeah uh, cool i did that at 9 a.m you know like uh just kidding um so it's 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 that type of change so you have hiring you have the retention piece right and with that is the team building of what what do we do uh and a study that had come out um I think it actually came out last year, uh, but it got published in an article this year was about playing games with your team and Mm. saying that uh, even for people who don't play like, you know, computer games or whatever types of games, uh, that it's still an amazing bonding experience to do this. And there's no shortage of virtual games, right? Like I, I remember, uh, we had a group of us um, who, and a fair warning, I'm not necessarily saying you should do this. Um, right. uh, we we got together one night, and there were like eight of us uh, from the industry, and we played Cards Against Humanity, and we're drinking right. and playing. And like, first off, that game is super inappropriate. So if you like, be forewarned. If you work for like a corporate company, do not play that game with your <laughs> your colleagues (laughs) yeah Uh, i played it before oh yeah um super inappropriate but like stuff like that is is the new way i think people are are bonding and then the final pieces uh what i've noticed is this actual shift in i don't know if metrics is the right word i think uh organization of work itself meaning uh it's less now about the oh i worked 12 hours yesterday or i put in 60 hours this week i was the last person in the office there's none of that anymore right like it's just it's not there um and it's leading to two things uh one is um employers and employees each on their own side um having to adjust how performance is measured and what it really looks like to have a quote unquote work day. Um, so, I, I don't think the days of like needing to log on at nine and working until five, I think those are dying if not dead for most people, right? Like in my company, we have a meeting every day at at 10 o'clock as just like a team, you know, like quick 30 minute, how are we all doing? Great. And then I don't in any way care when you work or where you work from. Do not care. We have stuff that has to get done by a certain date, right? Or if you're in sales, you have metrics that have to get hit. You have, you know, for marketing, you have a certain number of campaigns that need to get started or whatever it is that you're being, um, uh, call it like judged for, or, or, uh, monitored for, but like, who cares if you want to work from 10 PM until 2 AM every day, that's, that's your jam time. Like if you're getting what you need to get done, done then awesome. You know? And mm-hmm. I think, I think that that's, um, that, that's a major change for a lot of people dealing with kind of that time.
0: It, it's interesting, you know, particularly with the, the metrics um, and the performance aspect, people, before you don't really get the sense of what that's going to look like until you really get into the company unless you ask a lot of questions in your interview and they're honest with you um you, you never really know how this stuff's going to shake out until a year goes by or six months or whatever it is um or you know that everyone has an understanding they're going to be at their job for if they were hired full-time for 40 hours and that has drastically changed as you mentioned, in all those ways that you mention, but what that also means is that the expectations of employees has have changed, and and candidates, they're gonna, you know, whereas before, if someone says we expect you to work from eight o'clock to five o'clock, would be perfectly reasonable proposition for a candidate. Now, if someone says we're really serious about you got to come in at eight, or you know, start working at eight, and you got to finish working at five, or whatever it is, that's a, suddenly a red flag, right?
1: That's totally correct,
0: and I think that comes out to the
1: the second change that exists now, and and uh, it's this amalgamation of work and personal. Um, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. You can tell me if you've heard this phrase, but like you remember, you remember back when when we started uh, it, professionally. Um, you know, uh, back you know, ten years ago when we were when we were like nine, um, <laughs> uh, when you heard that like leave your work life at work and your home life at home, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I haven't heard that crap in like two or three years at least from people, and I think that that piece is going away. I, I think the the clear di- differentiation between who you are at home and who you are at work is slowly but surely uh, kind of conjoining right the days of people having a work Facebook and a personal Facebook and stuff are kind of in the past um, it's it, I come across that way less often than I used to right and and that old like well you know there's pictures of me drinking and I'm like here's the thing <laughs> most people drink right it's like well oh, I have drink. a couple of pictures when I got really drunk I was like here's the thing most people have gotten really drunk. It's not <laughs> like that's not you. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that that's a, a big change in, in, the scientific, um, uh, like theory that it's called is called the self-complexity theory. Uh, and the theory basically states that w- we're, blending all of the areas of our lives together, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, there's some good points of that in terms of authenticity and emotional intelligence. There's some bad points in terms of burnout and lack of boundaries. So for example, uh, the self-complexity theory basically states, uh, you know, one of the examples, the, the scientist gave was, um, uh, imagine going to a bar, uh, on a first date and also, Seeing your parents and also your college professor, and it's like that's <laughs> kind of where life is now heading with everything going on. And I think that that is a a massive change for for certain folks.
0: Yeah, yeah, it totally is. I mean, it's been talked to to death. But when just a year ago, you know, I worked from home a couple of days a week. Um, should my childcare have fallen through and my daughter was around? It was basically anathema to have any indication that your child's at home while you're working. I mean, if your kid popped onto your, your call or something, you could get in trouble, you know, because a lot of places, I know it's not everywhere, but a lot of places had policies. Your kid is not, you're not to be watching your kid while you're home. You know, I, and I don't know if you remember, but there was that British fellow on the BBC, I think it was like two years ago. He's doing a, a, a piece, he's clearly at home and his door opens up and his daughter, his like toddler daughter walks in and is followed by like his even younger daughter in a walker. And this is all this chaos and the guy that's mortified, he po- apologizes profusely. It, that went viral, you know, that is everybody's situation now. or so many people's situation. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not really funny anymore. It's not unusual. It's everything's changed. You're in your employees' houses, you know, one way or another. Their lives are absolutely, like you said, it's an amalgamation. They're inextricably linked at this point. Yeah, I like I like the way you put that. And, and your example's
1: spot on, right? Which is the... Man, I used to year ago, year and a half ago, when my dogs would bark in the background. Holy crap, lose my mind. I'm like, are you kidding yeah. me right now? I'm on a call, right? Whereas now I'm like, hey, sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have dogs, right? Like I'm, I'm a real human who has stuff that they have to deal with in life that doesn't only revolve around this job. And, and I think that that's becoming a little bit more mainstream now. And I think, I think it's wonderful, personally.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the way that ties into the candidate experience is, I mean, this is definitely an acid test. I think a lot of employers are realizing they have to get on board with this, have already realized. And then there's always going to be the people that are like holding out. And I've talked to a couple of them, um, you know, that want their employees in the office still for some reason, that, you know, are still micromanaging time uh, for employees. You know, what what are they doing when? asking for deliverables frequently um, and you know, that's just, isn't reasonable or realistic. And I don't know how you're gonna retain employees or get new ones if that's how things are gonna be. And, and to that point, exactly,
1: uh, is what what is becoming more important? Is it still the days of money uh, or are when people say like work-life balance is really important, right? That, that to me used to mean like, I only want to work nine to five, right? I'm not trying to work 60 hours a week. Whereas now I think there's a whole, um, I think there are nuances to that, right? Like I want to be able to work from wherever I want to be able to work kind of whenever, Um, and I think the, you know, the understanding piece, right. Kind of like what you were saying of, of, you know, like, oh, you have kids. So like, Hey, guess what? In the morning, I'm not going to be able to start until nine 30. I drop my kids off at school. Right. Or like, I need an hour in the afternoon to go pick my kids up or or whatever it is. Right. Like one of, one of the guys who works for me, uh, does guitar lessons at like 1 PM, uh, on Mondays. And it's like,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: Like who, (laughs) like legitimately who cares?
0: That yeah, I mean exactly. And we last time we talked, it was uh, I think it was actually about a year ago. Um, One of the things we were talking about was the power was in the candidates' hands because so many organizations were looking for talent, and and there was a shortage. Now it seems like things should have changed. You know so many people getting fired, losing their job record high unemployment, you would think that that would mean that employers once again have the power but really, if you look at things largely speaking that's they're vulnerable they're just they're at a disadvantage to the workers, but in an entirely different way. Would you agree? Can you give an example well it, it used to be we need talent, so we're gonna have to be shapeable and movable to get that talent now it's we need talent, and they can be anywhere. Our employees can go find jobs at any place in the world right now without much of a hassle. It's a different kind of competition. You know, We're going to see all these new trends show up as when the world opens their doors to a global, a global workforce. I mean, really, the only limiting factor is if you can stay up for the hours of the time zone where people work the job you apply for, if that makes any sense.:
1: Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. You're now competing for talent uh, with everybody, uh, at least you know in this country, who hires for what you hire for right? This is no longer like, well, we're in the Bay area. We can just move to, you know, Golden, Colorado or Austin or something and, and have a different talent pool. You're now dealing with this idea of everybody is accessible to everybody. In which case, what are you doing to make sure that your folks aren't getting pulled by like the bigger names in the space, right? Like you're a mid-sized software company. What are you doing What are you offering? How are you coming to the table with your folks? So that like when the Googles and Facebooks, Amazon, et cetera, reach out that your, that your employees are not going, yeah, I'll talk to you about that. (laughs) And I think that's where like the team building and everything uh, really is really going to make a difference in terms of how companies handle this. Um, And I think one of the things I think Amazon mentioned um AWS specifically mentioned in the news like last week that they may not even go back to like everybody comes back to the office they may stay remote but then have offices set up as like co-working spaces kind of like a WeWork where like you can come to any of the offices sit anywhere and and have an office to come to but like you don't you don't like sit anywhere formally you don't have a, a your specific quote unquote office
0: yeah, I, I hear a lot of talk about that, too. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think earlier in the pandemic, employers were positioning themselves to bring people back wholesale. And then a couple large organizations said, well, that's just not realistic. We're just going to go full remote. Um, and, and kind of an interesting thing happened where, you know, and I mentioned the power being with the employees and the candidates. When organizations start trying to force their employees back and their employees don't feel safe going back they're going to say no and do currently say no. And it's different than before. It used to be no tolerance for anything like that. And now you see organizations that are saying, well, we're going to go to a blended system you can come back. If you want to come back, you're hearing a lot of this very quote unquote, reasonable language. Cause they know that if they put their foot down, people are going to say, bye, I'm not going in an office where I might die. It's not worth my life. And that's the other thing about this pandemic is that a lot of people were faced with that insane proposition, which is if I go to work, I might die or I might kill someone in my family, a thing that most people don't experience at work ever. And it really helps you sort out your priorities. You know, like when our organization was deciding whether they were going to shut down, I said, I'm not coming back to work, you know, because I don't. I don't think it's worth risking my life or other people's life. Normally that would be, you know, disobedience and you'd get written up or you'd get fired or whatever it was, but it was just like not a discussion because of course I wasn't going to come back. No one's coming back. And then they formally made the decision that hardly played out differently at very many other places, especially around that same time period, you know, late March, all these organizations had to make this decision and they realized that a lot of their people were just going to leave and not come back unless they did something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, adding on to that even further, it's interesting. The, the reverence that we hold for police officers, right. Mm -hmm. Who go out every day, risk their lives to protect the remainder of the citizens. And right now, There's a lot of folks who've had the same job for five, 10, 15 years who are now doing that same thing. And everyone else who is going and not protecting the rest of the citizens, right? You're not a healthcare worker or a frontline worker, have that same level of risk. And so what are we doing to help mitigate that, right? To your point, Um, or are we, or are we just saying like, well, you know, tough stuff, come to the office or get a new job. Which, by the way, if you're doing that, shame on you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard those cases firsthand, but I know they must be out there. I have. Um, it, it, yeah, well, if anyone's listening wants to get in touch with me and talk about it, let me know. Uh, in, including you. Do you have a story like that? Or Any examples? Uh, I do. So I have a company who I obviously won't mention because that would be uh, inappropriate. Right.
1: Um, but Uh, yeah, I have a company who's basically saying like, Hey, we're fine. We can keep socially distanced in the office. It's important. Everybody comes here for (laughs) collaboration. Uh, Like, uh, not my client personally. And uh, it's like my immediate response is, well, how are you collaborating? So do you have a conference room that's literally large enough that you can leave the door open? Everybody can come in. There's fresh air coming in. Everyone's wearing their mask and sitting six feet apart. Because like, there's no way you're gonna make me believe that. In which case, what are you collaborating on? Like what? Like what are you? What are you possibly doing that you couldn't just do, not there?
0: Yeah, it's it's this stubbornness that has permeated the workforce for decades. You know, it's so many of the things that happened in the last year that that employers now have to do to stay alive were like a choice you know well we don't need to be that flexible we don't need to be understanding we don't need to think of our employees like people because yeah, that's right that's how it really was and it was you know all the studies and all the experts are saying you know treat them with respect be reasonable trying to understand their perspective um and there was a luxury really that those organizations had where they could say yeah but not really anymore. Not really. That's right. That's
1: exactly right. You can, but just understand your folks are going to leave because whatever it is you're offering them, it's not unique. That thing where you used to be like, we pay the best in this, in this area. Well, guess what? They don't need to be in your area anymore. So, uh,
0: get your stuff together. One of the things that, you know, is it's difficult to talk about cause I'm not, you know, you and my friends aren't in these industries. I don't really know people from these industries, but there's this huge percentage of the workforce that's in essential, what's essential jobs now. And, you know, those were jobs that when you were younger, you know, my dad would be like, oh, if you don't go to school, you're going to end up working in a grocery store. Like it was an insult. And (laughs) one of the things that, you know, I've really realized since the beginning is, you know, how much respect those people deserved all along. Um, not that I disrespected them, but I just, it's like, ah, I just go get groceries, go home. And it's like, you no, know, these people have to deal with everybody, you know, the people that are wearing their masks, the people that aren't wearing their masks, the people that are arguing with you because they think they should be able to not wear a mask and you have to kick them out of the store while they're like spitting COVID all over you the whole time. We've all seen the videos. And that's just one, one example. This represents a pretty large percentage of the workforce and their experience, I can only imagine, has been drastically different than those that get to, get, get to work from home. Have you looked at hiring strategies for organizations that have those kinds of workers? Have you been discussing this?
1: I have not, that is an area that I typically do not, not typically, that is an area I do not, uh, play in ever. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, is one of the lead sources for H-E-B, uh, one of the largest grocery, uh, mm. chains in the country. And, and he has been like, I don't even remember last time I've spoken to him. He's just been so heads underwater on this one. Um, and so I think, uh, I, th- from the outside looking in, um, my perception is uh, creating a, the days of here's a job, take it or leave it, right? We'll pay you an hourly rate, like right. good luck. I think, I think just like everything else is, is changing to like, what, what are you offering, right? Like I think Amazon's warehouses, unless they shape up and how they're treating people are going to struggle right? They're known. There's like documentaries out there talking about how, how rough it is to work in those situations. Um, but then you look at like an HEB, which is one of like the best places to work in the country. Right. And like, I, I know people can be done, who... right? That's exactly correct. Um, and I think to your point, you know, the days of going through the checkout line and having your headphones in you know, bye bye, you know, whatever. Um, I think those are, are I don't want to say fading again, but I, I think people
0: are more cognizant of the humans behind all of that. We've spent so much time focusing on the remote employees. You know, I've been trying to get some understanding of what's going on on the other side. What are those what does hiring like that look for? It's got to be harder than any other thing. You know, I know a lot of people are out of work, so they're probably looking for jobs, but that's one of those things that is for essential employees you don't have any location in the world to go to, you have to be there. So it's only within driving distance or within commuting distance, you have to worry about commuting because you might get COVID in the train, on the bus. You know, you might have to spend more time getting there safely now. And then when you're, you know, you have the risks when you're at work, whatever it may be. And that seems to me from a hiring perspective, like a major challenge. How do you tell someone you're going to be in contact with the, the public and that includes the best and the worst uh, and we're going to pay you $9 an hour or less and you might get sick. And, and many of those large chains, the really big ones have been lobbying to make it so that they won't be held accountable if employees get sick. You might be applying an organization that that's their perspective is If you get sick, it's not our fault. I just can't imagine what those conversations look like. I think,
1: unfortunately, so this is an area where I hear what you're saying. I don't know that I agree with that. And I think, unfortunately, I don't agree with it. And I think the reason is there are so many people who have been laid off and hurting for work that working in those environments is still better than not working. And so Mm -hmm. I think you're in a position where you're kind of have somebody bent over a barrel and are saying like, well, take it or leave it. Right. The market is what it is now. What are you
0: going to do? You know, let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. What what didn't work this year? I mean, it's been months and months. Organizations all had a plan. Did you see any that weren't working?
1: Yeah, I think the, uh, the folks who are still bent on like, we're going to get back into the office who don't actually need to get into an office, uh, isn't working. I think the folks who weren't trying to innovate during this, uh, really slow time, I think that's not working. I think, uh, I think now they're, they're paying for that, honestly, um, because there were a lot of companies out there using this downtime to kind of figure out other ways of doing this job, right? Because uh, you talk about companies like Uber who lost, I don't know, conservatively 50% of their recruiting efforts. And I can tell you they were innovating. They were figuring out how do we do this? How do we still maintain? Because guess what? Like people were ordering Uber Eats a lot more this year than they did last year right? So it's like, how, how can you stay ahead of the curve with less? How can you work more lean without uh, burning your folks out? And then I think the other thing uh, that doesn't work or didn't work uh, for folks um, is uh, the not adopting technology changes at an organizational level. So, like, the, okay. the folks who sit towards the top of the food chain who've been doing it the same way for forever and are trying to make the technology do what they want it to do. Uh, and I think the downside in doing that is it's, it's just inherently not set up that way. The technology is set up to function in a particular way, like the Zoom calls. Great example. So companies who used to get together in the office for three meetings a day, check in, see how things are going. Three Zoom calls a day is unfathomably overboard. We used to do two a day and actually went down to one because we're like, like, what are we doing? We're breaking up our afternoon to try to have this meeting where we go. Nothing has changed. Okay, great. Cool. How was your day? (laughs) It's been fine since the six hours ago when I spoke to you. Like, okay, cool. All right, great. Bye. You know, and, and I get it. In an office, that's a little bit different, right? You want to know what's going on. I, I think the other piece uh, that people are doing wrong is around metrics. Uh, and I, I've preached this a lot, very loudly this year. Stop measuring crap that recruiters don't have control over and stop holding recruiters accountable to crap that doesn't determine how well they're doing the job. So, for example, if you were holding your recruiters uh, to a particular metric of how many hires your company makes, and that's something like, let's say, their bonus is being graded on, stop it. Stop doing that. It's an unfair thing to do. They do not have control over that. Right? At the end of the day, they can do everything perfectly. And the hiring managers don't hire anybody. Job gets filled, internal referral, whatever it is, right? And so I get it. It's something to track. I'm not saying don't track that. Um, What I'm saying is don't hold your people accountable to that being the thing where they're doing a good job or not. Stop looking at how many submissions somebody makes or how many messages somebody sent or how many screening calls somebody set up. It doesn't matter. Those numbers don't matter. And if right now you're thinking, well how do you figure? So you have employee A who sent out 500 messages this week. They've got a 20% response rate. They've got 100 people who wrote back and they've set up 20 screening calls and of those 20, they had four people who were really good and they submitted those four people over and three of them got interviewed and one of them got an offer. It's like, "Okay, cool." And then you had you had employee B who sent out 40 emails this week, and they got a 50% response rate. So that's 20 responses. And of the 20, 12 of them wanted to talk. And of the 12, four of them moved forward to an interview and one got an offer. Which one's better at their job? Number two, the second one, (laughs) right? And, but if you're like, well, they only sent 40 messages, shut up about that. Who cares? (laughs) Maybe they're so good at their job. They don't have to, and you're holding them to an accountability to be crappier, but work harder, right? We want to work smarter, not harder. Great. Let me see your metrics. Because if there's not a percentage sign after the metrics, that's not what you're preaching. Right? I want to see a percentage sign. Show me the number of messages sent versus responses, your response rate. Show me the number of responses versus screening calls set up right? That's going to be how great is your targeting for candidates who are open to opportunities like this. Show me your, your percentage of number of candidates you screened versus submitted, because that's going to tell me how well you can sell the opportunity and how well you understand it enough to go after the right people for that job in particular, right? Show me those numbers. That's what I want to look at, because that's going to determine for me how well someone is working, not how hard they're working. If you need to check metrics every day to make sure your folks are working, fire your folks and hire people you can trust. Because if you don't trust they're working every day, you're going to fail. Because you're managing to the lowest common denominator of humanity. Are you doing the thing that you said you're going to do? And if that's what you're worried about, you have the wrong people or you're not a good manager. I don't want to be a jerk about that, but like <laughs> it's time to shape up. Let's assume everybody's going to do the best they can with the tools they have at their disposal. In which case, if they're not performing, right, you have that person who's sending 40 messages, but they're only getting three responses back and none of them are interested. You can look and say, well, you're not working hard enough. Really? Because I, as a manager, right, I have employees. I don't, I don't care as much about the number of messages. I want to look at, hey, Why is that happening? Right? You're spending a ton of time on these searches. It's it's happened with these folks this year and they're, they're super smart, but we look and we're like, Hey, your turn rates are really rough on these roles. Why is that? Well, I look at the turn rates and realize, you know what? They're really high on tech roles, but low on finance and accounting. So I can either say you're not working hard enough or I can say, you know what? As a leader, I'm not doing a good enough job training my folks on this industry stuff. Let's take a few hours and go over it together. Let's learn more about FA. Let's reach out to another person who's done FNA recruiting longer than we have and learn from them about it, right? And lo and behold, guess what happened? Their turn rates went up like crazy. Their turn rates went up. Did the number of messages they sent change? No. But did the efficacy of that change? Yes. I would rather my folks work 32 hours a week and get the same results as your folks working 40 hours a week, then not have to train or take responsibility or track the folks working 40 hours a week. Cause well, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't say that. No, it very makes well, but...
0: it entirely sense because it, what it comes down to is what's often uh, a common problem is the, it requires managers to and business leaders to uh, confront themselves. Which is uncomfortable. You know, people some people are really good at it and they're gonna make great great leaders and be inspiring. And a lot of people are too proud to look inside. And so, you know, that's how that discussion becomes about, you know, are you working or not? Instead of how can we help how can we help you work better?
1: Mm, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's exactly you know, I love that, the not looking
1: inside and I'm going to come at it again from that, like, I believe you're doing the best you can with the tools you have at your disposal. And, and maybe those are tools of, of growth, self-awareness, you know, more psychological, emotional stuff. Um, but it also can come down to, I was actually just talking to my father about this, um, who is still working at 77, just crushing it. Uh, 76, sorry, dad, 76, I love you. <laughs> um, and you know, he brought up, I don't remember what he called it. Uh, I always refer to it as like the IBM syndrome where you have a team of folks and you have to get a manager to manage that team. And so you take the person who's the best at that job and make them the manager, which seems logical, right? You have a group of software engineers. The person who's the best software engineer should be the manager of the team. And it's, it's no, no, that is not, that is not correct right? I, I believe I am a really excellent sourcer. I really believe that, right? That's a skill set I can own and say I'm I'm good at. I'm not a great manager. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good leader, right? I love leading my team and supporting them and growing them. Like management, I am not good at that. There's no correlation. So you have all these folks who are naturally really good at a job. And then because they're good at the tactical work, you're like, hey, you're going to manage people now you don't know what to manage. No, no one, no one gives you, well, I'm going to say no. The vast majority of what I've heard, there's not training coming in to, you know, be a manager where you're getting taught like, Hey, here's how you hold people accountable. Here's how you figure out what metrics are going to be the best fit for you. Here's how you have difficult conversations, right? Here's how you deal with team conflict. Here's how you build rapport with each of your individuals, right? Like companies don't train on that. And so what winds up happening is you have people who come in and go, all right, I, I need to make sure you're doing your job. How do I make sure you're doing your job? Well, if that's what you're doing, you just want to make sure I'm doing my job. You're just going to look at my output, not the quality, right? I built a hundred cars today. Most of them only have three wheels, right? Oh, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> but I built a hundred, right? And, and, and I think, you know, not to harp on it. I think that that's That's a miss, again, for organizations.
0: It's definitely been this year has definitely been a learning experience. You know, as as a consultant, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, organizations, by the time they're coming to you with a problem, uh, they've already been messing up for years and years. You know, it's it takes somebody. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot is if you look at like disengagement, it can be very hard to see that in your budget and your your um, finances, because it might be steady from year to year. So if you have a 60% disengagement rate and that's costing you $3 million every year, but it's every year, you'll never see the trend line. It's not until someone comes in from the outside or you elevate the right person or you get a certain amount of perspective, however you get it, to realize Something's wrong and we can do a lot better. This year, you know, and, and so they'll turn to someone like you or, or a different kind of consultant to come in and fix the problem. Maybe hire someone new. This year, it's been that test, that moment of finding out whether what you're doing is working or not happened a lot quicker. And it happened immediately. I mean, there was a two-week period where it was like everybody went from being this kind of employee to being that kind of employee. And you immediately had the needs and concerns. We've talked about it, but it's important. The needs and concerns of your employees became in your face. You you knew if your employer your employee was busy, if they had a kid, if they had to take care of their aging parents, you know, if they didn't have a good workspace, if they didn't have a good internet connection. You suddenly found yourself in their shoes because you had to fix the problem. And I think, at least I'm hoping, that this year has been illustrative to employers that have a more traditional mindset to say, we have to figure out the other way, the better way to do this, because what we were doing isn't working. Uh, you are 100% correct. I think the bigger
1: challenge even, and I know that you were, you were implying this, is when organizations aren't failing, when they're not doing badly, they're not doing great, right? But they're not actually failing. They're they've maybe plateaued, or they're not seeing the results they want, and you wind up having to fight that, um, what do you call it? that 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 feeling of well, we're okay, we're doing all right, right? Like we do fine. We build X amount every year. But like yeah, but you build the same exact amount right. for the last five years, so are you doing well? Right. And so now you're battling, you know, with, with both organizations and with individual recruiters around, you know, well, I hired 40, 40 people already this year. And it's like, yeah, we're not saying you're bad at your job. We're saying you could be better. That's it. And that's a tough battle to have with folks who are successful or have been successful up to this point, not realizing that this year alone changed everything. Changed everything, right? And uh, I know while there are maybe a few industries or types of roles where this isn't true, and, and I get it, people are gonna you know, not be happy that I'm saying this, cold calling, not gonna be a thing much longer. I get it. Like there's some sales roles and stuff and, and maybe some like service tech, more hourly type of workers where it will still but like the days of like cold calling marketing folks or software engineers or stuff like that. Like this year kind of changed that people don't want to hear that crap anymore, right? They, they're now at home and, and they don't want to have to receive these random calls. Just shoot them an email. Just like everybody else, right? Their bosses can shoot them an email about stuff they have to do. User recruiter, shoot them an email. Right? And so I think, I think without change uh, this year, if you have not experienced change in some way, and I don't mean you're having to work a whole bunch harder, but like fundamentally in what you do and how you do it, change, you're falling behind. Um, and it, I, I speak about this and I give a talk on addiction. Um, and I correlate it to the recruiting space and, and industry, but it's about mm-hmm. addiction. And I think one of the things that people struggle with is as a society, and again, particularly in this country, but I think as a species, we're uncomfortable being uncomfortable.
0: Very true. In which case change becomes real, real daunting. Very well said. I think that's about all the time we have for today. Um, It turns out we spoke almost nothing about 2021. (laughs) Um, But by talking about the end, maybe I'll leave you one last question. Um, I feel like, would you think it would be accurate to say that the positive lessons or the useful lessons that, you know, hiring managers have learned in the second half of 2020 should be continued into 2021? No, just like everything else. You have to continue advancing, right? What does that look
1: like? So, I think that that comes with uh, bridging that uh, authenticity gap even further, right? So, so to your point you made earlier about like uh, I used to freak out, you know, when my dog's barked or when kids would come in the background, like just that type of acceptance. And I believe as we continue moving forward, we're going to have to continue adapting what that acceptance looks like where are these lines because we're gonna push it too far it's, we've proven that that's kind of our thing right so <laughs> yeah. at what point do we go too far and we're like okay like guess what like you still need to wear clothes on your zoom call you know um, but but at what point do we do we find that line and then pull it back a little and we're gonna pull it back too far because that's what we do and that's okay right so I think that that's one uh, number two uh, is growing more comfortable with the idea that everyone's effed up. There's no exception to that rule, right? You, whoever is listening right now, you are. So is your boss. So is everybody (laughs) you work with and everybody you love. We are, it's, it's the nature. Nobody's perfect, right? So if that's the nature, then let's try to find ways to learn, to accept that. And I think this year, if there was one lesson that I've had to really harp on is that between all the racial issues in our country, between the election, between the different opinions around this pandemic and everything was the idea of being able to hold the space simultaneously of wow, I think your opinions are the opinions of an absolutely like handicapped Neanderthal. They are so dumb, but I still respect the right that you have to have those opinions. And that as long as your opinions don't negatively impact me specifically um, or those that I love, that I can hold space to not like you or not like your opinions and still, whether it's like you or just respect you and respect the fact that like, cool, you're a Trump supporter. Okay, fine. Do I agree with that? Maybe, maybe not. doesn't matter. But can I hold the fact that you're entitled to that opinion? Yeah. Oh, you love Biden. Okay, great. Do I agree with that? Maybe, maybe not. But it doesn't matter. Because I respect the fact that you believe that thing. And if everybody just approached life a little bit more like that, we could talk about things that stunk or that were uncomfortable. We could be uncomfortable with other people's feelings and emotions and, and opinions while not holding it against them as a human. And I think that as we continue to push forward with technology and amalgamating these different parts of our lives, I think that's going to be the next step. It's being able to hold two contrary ideas or emotions at the same time in balance.
0: Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. It's always, always fun talking to you my pleasure listeners we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what we should cover next please feel free to reach out to us on twitter at HRWorksPodcast podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about this podcast or in general or if you want to say hi um no one has yet said hi to me on twitter but uh
1: one day. Oh, come on folks let's know. go reach out say hi <laughs> let's be personable right and and you know what i'm going to go one step further this is now what i ask everybody when i talk to them I want to know who you are. I want to know either where you live or where you work, whichever one's more important to you. And I want to know one thing you love. So ping us, tweet us, give us that data. We'll fire it right back at you.
0: (laughs) Great suggestion. And folks, please remember that uh, on the 9th, um, which I believe as of the time this goes live will be tomorrow, there will be an online virtual event called HR Now. Um, and Michael will be joining us as the keynote speaker for that event. I will be moderating. Please join us. There will be a link with information in the description. Thank you very much. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.